0: This is the Jocko Underground podcast, number 18, with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. All right, so I was, got asked this, like, multitude of times, especially I was on the Jordan Peterson podcast a little bit ago, and I talked a bunch about writing, and I also talked about reading, and then obviously read the books for the podcast all the time, is what's the procedure look like? How am I doing this? What am I do? what's the procedure for reading the book? Yeah. So there's also the procedure of selecting a book for the podcast. So I get sent so many books and then books lead to other books and then I end up with a lot of books. I get I have a lot of books now. Mm-hmm. And I can't read them all cuz I have more books than I than, you know, we only do one pod, one Jocko podcast a week mm-hmm. and I have more books than that. Mm-hmm. So, I got to figure out which book is going to be. So, the first thing I do is I do an assessment of the book. Look, you know, somebody sends me a book from World War II, from NOM, right? From yeah. World War I, really? from the rep, from whatever. They send, you know, somebody suggests a book. I read about a book. You know, I get the, I'm, I'm doing research for one book and I pull the string on one of those books and I find another book and I look at the bibliography and I find another book and it's written first person. So you can see where this comes from. I mean, the the books, the resources out there are unlimited. I have my default, by the way, my default mode is order it. That's my default mode, I'm gonna order it. But then Mm -hmm. on top of all the books that I order, people send me books. Mm -hmm. So first I do a little assessment. I can almost guarantee you, I'm gonna open it up and read like the first page. And see what it see what see how it hits, see yeah. how it lands. you can tell you can kind of you get a feeling right there. you're yeah. like, "Oh, dang, I'm already kind of sucked into this thing. Mm. Then I know this might sound like spoiler alert, but I'll go to the end of the book mm. and see what kind of closing last couple pages, like where are we at? Where'd this end up? How's this finishing mm. And then I'll start like looking through the book in the middle and start looking for how is this thing written? And I'll look for a spot to read, you know, about maybe it's an actual battle, maybe it's after a battle, but I'll look for something like that. You know, I'll be looking for keywords as I'm scanning, I'll be looking for mortar fire, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. I'll yeah. be looking for bayonets fixed. I'll be looking mm. for stuff like that to find out what, and then I'll start reading that section and see how well it's written. And, and that's kind of, look, so many of the books are good. So many of the books are great, but I can't read them all. And so I got to make kind of a decision based on that procedure right now, right there, the opening, the closing, and then sort of a sampling of the middle. And then, okay, so once I decide, all right, we're going in with this book, we're going to do this, I occasionally I'll misjudge. I've probably misjudged five books so mm. far where I... Old, read the opener read the closing read a middle part like yeah, this is legit and then I read it and I was like well You mm-hmm. know, I got let's say 42 pages into it and I'm like, no, i misjudged it put it on the put it on the other pile mm. Are you at Liberty to say which ones those mm, were or? Uh, not really but n- none of them were no one sent me a book where I was like Oh, this is good. No, and actually right, you know. like their book. Or yeah, something no one like no one's done something like that but I've definitely had books where some historical I can there was one book that I read that I really wanted to do a certain subject and I got a book that seemed like it would be right and I invested probably 50 pages into it kept waiting for it to and one of the key components was it was a it wasn't a first person book Mm. so it was an account, right, it was a historical account, which we've done some historical accounts,
1: but,
0: but if if there's enough first person accounts in the historical account, then it can be used. This one didn't have really much for first person, no quotes, you know, mm. Lance Corporal Smith mm. said, boom, and you got two pages of dialogue from Lance <laughs> Corporal Smith getting it, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. that's, so I've, I've, that's been a couple that I've walked away from, you know, midstream, mm. but generally I do pretty good. Generally, I, I do a pretty good assessment. And so then what I do, then I read the book. When I read the book the first time, I'm going, I'm reading the entire thing, and I'm, I'm anything that's cool, good, impactful, meaningful, lesson, high, I'm, I'm highlighting. I have orange highlighters, mm-hmm. by the way. Yellow too light. Orange is good. I understand. So I go through with the orange highlighter, Read it, and I'll some some books I'm freaking highlighting all kinds of. I mean, it gets so I have to control myself sometimes mm-hmm. and pull back a little bit because I can get crazy with the highlight. And then I'm thinking, I'm just going to read a freaking audio book here and just read the whole book. Don't want to do that, so I I'll highlight it. And but sometimes I am highlighting whole pages. Sometimes I've just got two, three, four pages of a battle scene that's epic, and I'm like, yep, I'm reading this whole thing. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. So I'll highlight the whole book. Then I kind of think about it. And, um, as far as the podcast goes, as far as the podcast goes, then, then when it's time to record the podcast, then I go through it again and I go and I have these red pens, these red, like fine tip pens, and I'll outline and mark up exactly what I am actually going to read on the podcast. And then arrows that lead me to the next section and areas that I'm not going to read. And so that's how I end up. Doing that, and I have like little marks for notes if I've got some note about something, or you know, they mention a general's name, and then I got a note in there. I use a bunch of stickies and all this crap, Mm. but there's still something that's that's that I have learned, I would say, about reading, and it's been primarily from doing the podcast which is how I'm actually reading the book, and I think I did this before, but I did it subconsciously, now I do it consciously. When I'm reading a book, it's not really a book that I'm reading. It's either a story that I'm hearing from someone first person in my head, like I'm hearing this story, or oddly enough, it's a story that I am telling. So I'm reading it as if I'm telling the story that I'm the person that lived it, which is weird, right? So I'm actually reading this as if it's me and I'm gonna tell the story to you.
1: Mm.
0: Or I'm actually like in the mindset of I'm living what's on the page. Mm -hmm. So that's to me is how I am really connecting with what I'm reading is I'm, I'm in that frame of mind. I also read, and I know this this actually is not good, I read at the speed that I talk just about, mm-hmm. which sucks, because it takes me a long time to read stuff, mm-hmm. but that means that it when I'm reading it, it's like someone's telling me a story, or it's like I'm telling someone a story, so it's more engaging for me in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then I have the overlays, right? I have the, the, the conscious and subconscious overlays of Extreme ownership of cover and move and simple and prioritize and execute and decentralized command and dichotomy. So I've got those overlays, and so those things are. I'm I'm scanning for those things. I'm looking for them, or I'm not consciously looking for them. Like, oh, that's cover move right yeah. there. Oh, that's you know, oh, that's a simple plan. That's going to work. I, I'm doing that, so I've got that additional overlay, that additional context to what I'm reading. Yeah. And I'm also looking for outliers. So I'm looking for things that don't match up with my. Theoretical principles. Uh, I remember when I read one of Tilt's books, and he split forces, and I was like, "Dang, I don't know. This doesn't sound like a good idea." And and I asked him on the podcast. I said, "You know, I'm I've, I I felt weird asking him, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, it's Tilt, bro. We Shred don't want to mess with Tilt." <laughs> and I said, "Hey, Tilt. You know, here you are. You're going in this jungle situation, and you split forces." I said. I was, like, I was like, you know, what? I always kind of thought it was a bad thing. He goes, it was the only time I did it, and it worked out horribly. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Thank you. Look, sometimes you do have to split forces, but you have to use caution when you do it. So I have that context of what I know, what I believe, then the outliers from what I know and what I believe. And, and when I say what I believe, th- that means it's what I believe. But I also realize that books – can present questions to what I believe, which is awesome. Because if I get a question to what I believe, that's a positive thing, because now I'm gonna either learn more about my belief being correct, or maybe my belief is incorrect and I'm open-minded to that and I actually want it. Mm. So I have those overlays, and then I have the overlays of when I'm reading, how things fit together that I'm reading. And this is on multiple levels. In the book itself, when you're reading in a book, you gotta remember that that's a complete world, right? And that page, that section that you're reading is connected to everything else that's in there. And sometimes we get, because you're you're detached from it and you turn the page, it's like we're not thinking about that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I consciously am thinking about, hey, this is actually happening in the context of this whole entire book. Mm. And then how does this whole entire book fit in the context of other books about this particular battle, this particular war, this particular situation, war in general, how does it fit in? How does this compare to the whole world? What's going on in the world? And then how does it compare to my world, what I've been through, what I've experienced, the knowledge that I have or don't have? And and what I'm looking for, obviously, what I'm looking for is trying to find lessons, find new lessons, possibly relearn lessons that I've already learned, learned or reinforce the same lessons. And then all of this provides me with perspective so that I can more holistically understand human nature. That's what that's what I'm doing. That's what we're doing. And you know, there's a. Speaking of books, I was just reading a book, and there's a quote in there from Otto von Bismarck, who's a German chancellor for three wars, and he's always, he's always in these pictures with these. Kind of a militaristic general uniforms on you know with the shoulder gold shoulder pads the big all that stuff I mean he was like a reservist for a few weeks or something (laughs) He he wasn't like and he apparently was begrudgingly a soldier for a very short period of time But you know once you're the chancellor you're like, you know what? I Want that freaking general outfit? well, there's a, a there's a book by BH Liddell Hart who's a whole nother we have a whole we have a whole library of books from him that he wrote he was a really uh, profoundly impactful British military soldier officer fought in World War One wounded uh, sent back sent back again I mean just he he's went through a lot, and he had an incredibly fluid mind, an incredible understanding of military tactics. And I, we haven't even broached. It's one of those things where there's a couple books right now I've got in the waiting that I'm wait that I I'm like, hey, when I open when I go on this, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna take four, five, six, seven podcasts to do. Damn. And so I've got some of those books in the waiting right now. B.H. Liddell Hart is one of them. Um, But the quote is that I'm getting to, (laughs) that I was reading in his book today. Fools say that they learn from experience. I prefer to profit from others' experience. So what does that mean? That means read. That means put yourself into the situation in the book so that you can learn from other people's experiences and you don't have to go through it yourself. So there you go. A little bit Mm. on reading.
1: Yeah seems like that extends to essentially listen right to others cuz yeah so, so I tell my kids like a little I don't know what do you call them? mantra I don't know whatever it is <clears throat> what are the three, three, three things that make you smart
0: listen read and rest
1: mm. you can't listen and read and not rest you got to rest okay Fair enough. um actually it's sleep so the three things that make you strong are Working Eat. out, eating good food, and resting. Things that make you uh, smart, smart is listen, read, rest, sleep, sorry. Anyway, this is the thing I made up with my kids. I'm sure that, look, it's not perfect, but I wanted them to sort of remember it, so when I ask them it, they can kind of recite it and understand, you know? Yeah, there,
0: there, there's, I was trying to think of what you're missing, and, and it didn't, at first I was like, oh, that, that's legit, right? Listen, read, sleep, that's really good. Um and then I thought like honestly I, I started, thinking, what about math? Right? Like I yeah. I literally thought, like, what about math? Yeah. And so it's almost like so that made me think, well, what can you say to someone that's yeah. short and concise that will also make them realize that they have to kind of learn and drill and practice? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the other thing is questions. right? How do you get smart? You get smart by asking questions. Oh yeah. Huh. So those are good. I like. I like. Those are good fundamentals for your kids. Yeah, they're very good fundamentals. You get a very good grade on your fundamental concepts for your kids on those two factors. Solid.
1: Yeah, I felt like listening is one of those ones where it's essentially you're learning from others. Mm-hmm. what I had in mind anyway was listen to your parents, listen to your teachers. You know that whole thing. Mm. I liked asking questions. One for sure. Which yep. kind of brings you back to listening because once you ask, ask the question you better sure. start listening kind of True. a thing I guess now that I'm trying to analyze it but yeah, felt pretty good about it I guess. Yeah,
0: it's a good start. we'll say that like and I don't mean that even in a, even in a in a condescending, condescending way. Yeah. I don't I mean it's like a legitimate good start yeah. How do you say good start and and have it not be condescending? You just need to say that's a really good start. I that's know. A, you know what that's a great foundation to build upon. Even that is a little bit yeah. negative, right?
1: Yeah, most of them do, especially if you're paying attention to the idea that it could be condescending, mm-hmm. yeah, they all seem pretty condescending. Okay. Even when you're like, I like where you're going with that. Like you know, even
0: that, it's like. It's a good, solid start you got there.
1: Just give him the full Whenever props. I tell
0: Dave. Good deal, Dave. Yeah. Whenever I tell Dave that, he, that I'm, he'll ask me like, oh, how was that? And I'll be like, oh, solid. <laughs> 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 he thinks that I'm he thinks I'm you know Yep. He thinks that's a that's a C. That's a C plus.
1: Yeah, and it, I had told you this plenty of times. In Hawaii, solid means good. It's like yeah, excellent, yeah, essentially. Solid, yeah. yeah, bro, that guy's solid right there. Yeah. Or or that was a solid job or whatever. It means excellent. Just yeah. a subtle difference.
0: Yeah. Well, apparently in Carl's bad carol from California it means like <laughs> marginal. <laughs> <laughs> Barely acceptable in yeah. a
1: vague way. Yeah. Um that's
0: interesting how you like you know, and you know what? Honestly, he's right. With in some cases, like if somebody does a bad job, and I don't want to make them feel uh, self conscious, which is gonna, which is going to worsen their performance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be like, well, "How was that?" I might be like, "Oh, it was solid, man. It was mm-hmm. solid." But I, no, even less than that. They might be like, "How was that?" I'd be like, "Oh, it was solid." So I'm, I'm, I am doing what he's talking about, but yeah. usually with the context of Dave. I'm like, oh, that was solid, meaning Hawaiian yeah. solid. <laughs> right on. Good. I mean, not like perfect, eh, but yeah, it's not perfect, but it's freaking legit. solid. You gotta
1: just say legit. You gotta yeah, say legit, legit. right? Legit. Essentially, because solid is that. It's kind of like, hey, no one's gonna fire you for this job that you did. It's kind of like the uh, kudos for a job done. Mm. It's like that, oh, rather not even than the well not done. the well done. It's okay. like done. You, hey, you did the job, man. You get kudos, kudos for a solid. job done. I don't know. I heard it once on mm. a show, but. I don't know. I don't know Check. what kudos technically are either. Um you you get like um the human nature element like it makes you understand human nature to mm-hmm. read all these books and stuff. I always think of um like while I'm listening, I always think of like the time frames, you know? And if it, and especially the Iraq guys, like the, where the where they're, the stuff that they went through was during the time that I was alive mm-hmm. and they'd say the date and I remember like I remember exactly what I was doing on that time at mm. that time on that date or whatever and I get to realize like and you were doing this while I was freaking <laughs> here at home watching this new show or whatever and so it puts that into perspective and it almost gives me like a, a little like a like a weird almost like a GPS location of where I am you know in this whole freaking thing in the context in the context exactly it's weird man but yeah man it's crazy cool sure check. Um, Well, we do have some questions from the interwebs. All right, first question. The situation is that I'm a troop commander with three team leaders reporting to me. I've committed to building relationships with my troopers, trying to maintain the balance in the dichotomy So, so that I can be more effective leader. This has paid off many fold, the effort that I put in. I'm getting better at tailoring my interactions with individuals with results in stronger relationships. My question is, once I've delivered my message to the entire troop, how do I then give more tailored delivery to individuals or groups without circumventing my team leaders? One of my goals is to help my team leaders reach their highest level of growth and development. They're all high performers, but one has some very old school attitudes about how his style will not be changed because of some sensitive people. I would like to help them understand their team members' personality types and tailor their message delivery accordingly. How should I approach this? I know I need to explain the why, but I would like a pragmatic approach on how, to, how you coach someone to see the difference between Fred and Bill.
0: So two different questions there. The first one is, uh, once I've delivered my message to the entire troop, how do I give more tailored delivery to individuals or groups without circumventing my team leaders? That's, you know, you can pull, you can pull the team together and the team leader can be there and you can say, hey guys, I wanna make this a little bit more specific for your group or for for this team. And if you have to say something to an individual, be like, hey team leader, let me, I, you know what? Hey Echo, let me talk to Fred over here. I just wanna make sure that he understands his role. Yeah. You know, and you're not circumventing. You you don't wanna do that all the time and you shouldn't need to do it all the time because if Echo's doing a good job as a leader, there's, there's most of the things you're gonna communicate in an effective manner that the team understands. Occasionally, I might be like, hey, Echo, I need to talk to Fred since he's on the sniper rifle tonight. There's some specific rules of engagement I wanna make sure he understands. And you should be like, yeah, I got it, boss. So as long, you know, Leif and I talk about this. I would, If I need to talk to Leif guys, Leif wouldn't be like, what are you doing talking to my guys? Mm. But I wouldn't do it all the time because then you are undermining.
1: Right. So
0: there's a balance there that you gotta, you gotta handle. So that's the first question. How do you do it? You have good relationships, and when it, when it's appropriate, as as infrequently as possible, right? We don't want to do it all the time. We want to do it as infrequency infrequently as possible. We do go and talk to troops directly. That's this shouldn't be a big factor. So that's part one. Part two, the thing is like, you got the guy who. Has put the put the stake in the in the ground that says I'm not going to change my style of leadership because of some freaking sensitive person, right? So we already know this person. We are we already understand what this individual, you know, where they're coming from. We we know this this archetype. We know it. True. So here's what we go. Um, relationships, right? Relationships for the team leaders are paramount, as you have indicated. Relationship with the old school dude is very important. He already put a stake in the ground like I just said, right? Mm-hmm. He already put a stake in the ground. Look, I'm not changing for for these, you know sensitive people. Mm. Back in the day, we didn't we didn't cater the message to some you know wimp on the front. No, mm-hmm. that's what he's saying. So, don't attack that. Don't attack that. Don't say, you know, times have changed. Mhm. Things are different now. You do, you you know there's you need to make some adjustments. All those things are not going to be functional. They're not going to create. A, they're not going to help build your relationship. Instead, your approach should have the undercurrent of, hey, you've been doing this for a long time. I'd like to learn about how you do your management. I'd like mm-hmm. to learn about how you interact with the team. And one thing I can tell you, you, can almost guarantee he's not quite as old school as you think think he is. Right. A lot of times, people that act all gruff, they're actually better leaders than you think and it's a little bit of an act. That could be, could also not be. Uh, But regardless, do not try to coach him directly. That's a fail. He will freaking organ reject your advice, right? It will be organ rejection. You have to take the indirect approach on this. So the question was like, how how do you, how do I, I would like a pragmatic approach on how you would coach someone to see the difference between Fred and Bill. I would start off by again, humbly being like, you know, I notice how you handle your team, you know. How do you, what's, how do, Fred and Bill seem like they have different personalities. How do you, how do you communicate to them? Mm -hmm. And you know, and he might be like, well, you know, I'll just tell him the same thing. And you go, you get the same responses from both those guys, huh? Even though they're radically different. Mm -hmm. And he'll be like, well, well, you know, actually, with Fred, you know, I gotta be a little bit. I gotta, I gotta give Fred a little bit more. Honest, or whatever he's gonna say, or maybe. So you might reveal to him what he already does. He probably does things. If he's a team leader, he's probably doing things that he doesn't even recognize. He doesn't. He doesn't really pay attention to it. And maybe there's a chance that he does start to recognize that he needs to be treating them a little bit differently. But it comes from you asking him questions. Not telling him what to do, but just exploring how he handles it. And when you explore how he handles it, he is exploring how he handles it. And maybe he doesn't handle it optimally. And the first time that you see that he doesn't handle it optimally, if you you know then stand up and bang your fist on the table and say, I told you those old school ways don't work, don't do that. In fact, if you can get away with it, you don't even call him out on it. You just let him see it, and then you'll back away. You let him see it, and then you back away. Because that way, you're going to allow him to improve. And you're going to allow him to improve himself. And that is much, it might sound inefficient. Now, that's the big thing. Everyone thinks, this is going to take forever. Yes, it is going to take longer. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be more effective than saying, Echo, the way you treat your team, you're not not doing a good job from a leadership perspective. Cool, that's great. You're not going to listen to anything else I say. You're going to fight it. You're going to resist it. You're going to be mad at me. Mm -hmm. It's going to take months to repair a relationship. It's a disaster. But if I subtly ask you questions and you start to identify things that you could do better and you see them for yourselves and then you start taking action on those things, that is going to be faster and more efficient than the direct approach. Ask earnest questions, build relationship, don't fight against his ego. Let him reveal the truth. And he doesn't even have to reveal it to to you. You can just let him reveal it to himself, that's optimal. And take your time, this is a campaign. He's not gonna change overnight. People don't change overnight. So that is the initial uh, approach I would take with this individual.
1: That doesn't surprise me,
0: because funny when you say like,
1: you know, say, you know, say something or ask questions and then kind of back away. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, obviously, I I think I'm maybe sensitive to it with you or whatever. But yeah, anytime like you're giving me some advice or I'm asking you questions that I don't know the answer to or whatever. Sometimes it does take just talking through it Mm -hmm. for me to just realize it. yeah And sometimes, yeah, most of the time you I mean, with me, usually just give a look. As if to say, like, do you hear yourself, like, talking? There's your answer kind of a thing. Like, the answer sort of becomes obvious or whatever. But, yeah, when you ask, like, just little subtle questions, not confrontational, nothing like that, just, like, little questions to kind of tease out all the information or whatever, it kind of reveals itself. Because I think that, well, me anyway, I'm sure I'm not unique in this way where when things roll around in your head, you have all these little biases that you don't know about all these little like frames that you're looking at things through and they, and they just, they're just so inherent to you that when you do say them out loud, you kind of have to take, take into account, okay, other people can hear this and how am I sounding right now? And then when you give me that look, it's kind of like, okay, I can kind of interpret how I'm apparently sounding right now.
0: Here's an important part of this whole thing that I didn't mention yet. And you just made me think of it when you do this, it's not an act. Mm. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna act like I can learn from him. Yeah, no, yeah. you need to actually say to yourself, look, this guy's been doing this for a long time. He's a team leader. He's got things that he knows that I don't know. He's got an approach that I don't understand and I need to understand it better. Yeah. You can't go in there like, well, I'm gonna play a little mind game <laughs> with this guy. <laughs> He'll see right through it. <laughs> yeah, you go in there, you so. earnestly humble yourself and you start to ask real questions. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a scam. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. Next question.
1: What advice do you have for couples that venture into business together, especially when they conflict on decisions or priorities? What's the best way to communicate priorities in business? I want to find more I want to find more productive ways to have discussions so that we don't stress each other out all the time. As a wife, I want to be supportive and helpful as a partner in his business. I want to do the Sorry, as a partner in his business, I want to do the job he asked me to do. I also don't want him to feel like I'm undermining him.
0: Okay, Okay. Um, (laughs) number one, detach. Mm -hmm. We have to detach when we're dealing with family, more than any other situation. Because we get super overload emotions when it comes to dealing with family, so you have to be able to detach. Does this mean you're cold? Does this mean you're you know aloof? No. It means you don't get freaking wound up with your emotions. That's number one. Number two, you got to climb the ladder of alignment. When you two are talking about what the priorities are, whatever the business is, whatever the business is, do you think that one of you doesn't want to have a profitable company? Of course not. Does one of you want to leave yourself open for legal action? No. Does one of you want to? go bankrupt no like you can see where I'm going does one of you not want to do a good service for the clients no Hmm. there's all these things that you're aligned on you have to go so if you if if he wants to do a and you want to do B okay we could probably do both of those one of those and it will lead to the ultimate solution that we want which is fine which is fine and what that means to me is if I can, I'm gonna use my I'm gonna use my business partner's plan. I'm gonna use my business partner priorities. So if if Echo comes to me and look, we want to, you know, make a widget. And Echo's like, we should use this type of plastic to make the widget. And I think we should use this other type of plastic to make the widget. If the type of plastic that he's talking about will actually functionally do it, and there's they're pretty close, you know, what look, if his plan is if his plastic is stupid and it and it falls apart in two weeks, I go, hey, Echo, I appreciate that that plastic's cheaper. It also has a history of falling apart in two weeks. We 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 can't do that. You understand that, right? And he's like, yeah, got it. But if mine, you know, my plastic cost, you know, three cents left, less, and his plastic cost three cents more, and he's like, we should use this one because it's better. It's three cents, you know what I'm gonna say? You know what, Echo, let's go with it. I want to use... My business partner's plan. I want to use my subordinates' plan. I want to use my boss plan. I always want to use someone else's plan. I always want to use other people's priorities. So what that because that allows me to get aligned and try to me trying to fight them for alignment. Mm -hmm. Then we have to separate our egos from our decisions. We have to separate our ego from our priorities. Because if Echo thinks that this thing over here is the most important and I think this other thing is the most important, I need to step back from my ego and be like, all right, which one of these is actually most important? And if it's what I think, then why am I not able to articulate that to Echo? Mm -hmm. Maybe he sees something that I don't see and I need to open my mind to that, which once again, demands that I put my ego in check because we both want to get to the same place. That's what we want. Talk about the overall goal. Talk about the overall goal. This is alignment. Once again, what are we trying to accomplish in the big picture? Not just with this project or that project, but what are we actually trying to get done? And then do these priorities that we're coming up with, do they support that long-term strategic goal? That's what I'm gonna do. So let's try detaching. Let's try putting our egos in check. Let's try if we have to. Maybe you got to give a little ego massage, right? Maybe you got to make the, maybe you got to make your husband feel good about this, and maybe you got to do that. It's okay. It happens. It's not just. It might. It might sting more because it's business and it's your husband. and You don't want to have. You. Know, I shouldn't have to do that. <laughs> Guess what? It's even more that you have to do that. Back and forth. So put the egos in check. Align at the higher level. Don't worry about being aligned on the little lesser issues Make sure that you're aligned on the big issues and if you're aligned on the big issues you and you can put your ego in check Then you and you ask earnest questions. You can get to the best idea the best priority and the best plan That's what I got And I think you're
1: I'm actually in this position not as the wife obviously but my wife works with me on some things. <clears throat> what I noticed, and this is good advice for me, and, I, and the reason I can be like, dang, that's good advice, because you know how like when you work with a regular person who's not your family member or whatever, it's like I'm not saying you're never going to take things personal, but probability-wise you're going to take things less personal from them mm-hmm. versus like your, especially your wife, let's face it, generally speaking. So if when my wife asks me, hey, did you do this thing? Because this person is continuing to ask me about it. And I say, oh, man, not yet. And then she goes, why not? From a normal coworker, I'm going to be like, oh, man, OK, I'm going to get to it or whatever the probability was. But from my wife, I'm going to be like, how dare you ask me? Why not? I'm busy. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not I'm not like, like the idea that my wife is. Telling me what to do or bossing me around or ordering me around is way more at play And maybe I'm an individual in this maybe I'm alone on this maybe I'm not but it seems like it's more at play Moment-to-moment moment.
0: the reason it's more at play is because you're supposed to be a team with your wife So when yeah. all of a sudden you're getting the yeah, pow, you yeah, know, yeah. You're getting smacked and with I, a why not and I know her tone then it yeah, so she's coming at you. coming at me so so because you're more used to the teamwork aspect when it starts to feel like it's less teamwork and more accusations, we get defensive.
1: Yep. And then it's, and it can be a two-way street. I'm saying it is, but I'm saying it can be. If, you know, if I didn't do something that she obviously put on my plate business wise and Mm. I didn't do it, there could be a, a significant probability that she may have took that personal. Like, mm. he just ignored what I asked me him to off. do. Yeah. You know, yeah, blew me off. Like, don't, like, doesn't what I say mean anything? Kind of a thing. It's, it's easier to take personal, you know? So now you got this circle, you know, if you don't pay attention to these mm-hmm. kind of things. And that's what I felt like. I was wondering why, like, you know, they're like, hey, if you get in, you know, you work with your wife, it can be dangerous and all stuff. I'm like, no ways, man well me and my wife knew each other before we were even dating. We're friends. we know how to handle this kind of stuff. And just right away I was like, what the hell is up with this chick right here? <laughs> Telling me what to do or whatever. But and then when I looked at it, and granted I sensed the tone. Right. I know what she I know what that tone means. I've known you for freaking twenty-five million years. I know what that tone means. But if I can just kind of ignore the tone mm-hmm. and just listen to the the, yes. the content,
0: just you your ego in check because that's you, what it is.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's ego. And how you so you just said it might sting when you do it. Mm-hmm. I can I can attest to that mm-hmm. one right there. But it it does get more uh, effective and sustainable.
0: Going into a conversation with the idea in your head that you're probably wrong yeah. is so valuable in conflict resolution. Yeah. And this doesn't mean that you secede the, the position, or does, sorry, it doesn't mean that you cede the position. It doesn't mean that, that you know if Echo thinks something, I go, okay, Echo's probably right. That doesn't mean I just go, yep, Echo's right. We're gonna use the cheap plastic that blows up in two weeks, mm. right? When I go in there, I go, hey Echo, why do you wanna do this? And you're like, well, because it's so much cheaper. Okay, well, what kind of warranty do we put on these products? Well, we have a six month warranty. You know that this plastic only lasts two weeks, right? Well, all of a sudden, maybe you say, well, actually, I didn't know that. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we'll get, but I'm, I'm asking you questions because I want, truly want right. to understand. Could I'm not understand saying, something? you know, well, how long is the warranty? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? True. Yeah, true. So, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not assaulting you. I'm not being hostile. Yeah, I'm not using tone like other people that you <laughs> apparently work with. <laughs>
1: Man, it's true. And it's, a, it's a big difference, man,
0: that tone thing.
1: That, or and that tone
0: comes across if you and I have a conversation and my attitude is that I'm going to ask you questions, but I think you're going to educate me and I'm probably wrong, that tone will come across. Right. As yeah. opposed to Echo's an idiot, he doesn't see the big picture, I'm going to ask him some questions and point him in the right direction. Yeah, That's going to come across all day long. Yep. Intent has a smell. It, does have a smell. it stinks. It stinks. It stinks.
1: All right, next question. How did you go about introducing and exposing your daughters to different sports? I have two young daughters, three years old and 10 months old. And looking ahead, I'd like to introduce them to sports that would provide the best all-around attributes in terms of strength, balance, endurance, confidence, mental toughness, and teamwork. Importantly for young kids, fun should be in there as well. Jocko, you've talked about your, your daughters doing ballet and you pushing them in wrestling and jiu-jitsu. Did they, did they do more classic team sports as well, and how did you balance the two? Another concern of mine with great sports, such as gymnastics and ballet, is the pressure of body image issues leading to eating disorders. How did you navigate that with your own daughters?
0: Uh, first of all, that little aside, fun should be in there as well. Mm-hmm. That's actually should be number one. The number one thing is that whatever you're getting your kids to do The best way to get them to do it is to make it fun as hell. That's what you want So Make it fun and we're we as parents are awesome at making it not fun We're we're Mm -hmm. free. I at least I was like I'm a black belt in making stuff not fun Just (laughs) with like my look right just with the way I talk. like I'm just an idiot or I was I'd say I'd do better now um, because once again, you're looking at your kid and you're like, Look, I know this is the best thing for you. You need you you, you don't even talk back. You just need to do this. Instead right. of explaining why, instead of having conversations, instead of listening to their opinion, instead of forming those that relationship, instead of allowing them to influence you so that you can influence them. All those leadership things that I talk about all the time, they work with kids. And they also will not work if you don't do them. So Yeah, I think it's a great call to get them into a bunch of different sports, and that's kind of the modern literature, says play a bunch of different sports, just don't play one, um, and make it fun. I'll tell you what, the winning is fun, right? So if you you introduce them to a million different sports and they're not really that good at all of them, well then none of them really become that fun, because winning is actually fun. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind as well, and set goals that are around hard work and variety. Right. If you set goals that hey, what we do is we work hard. You know, we oh, did you get break a sweat? I still say that to my kids. Mm. But I'd be like, oh, you sweating? Mm. You know, like, yeah. You know, like it's hey, that's a cool thing. And also, the goal of like you know being able to play any game well is being is better than just being good at one thing. So you give them that attitude that that it's okay. You're not going to be great at this, but like have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Or hey, it doesn't matter if you're the best look, you can do it pretty well and you can do that pretty well. And you can do that pretty well. Make that sort of the, the goal, set the goals around a variety. And my kids did do, you know, some of the classic sports, some of the soccer, some of the, some of the basketball, the baseball, the softball, the flag football. Um, but I really did. I pushed wrestling and jujitsu and Muay Thai and boxing. And you know, that was, that was what I was into. That's what I see as the most important things in the world. So they, you know, they should do it. My daughters, yes, did get into gymnastics, one of them into gymnastics, which was followed by cheerleading, which those two are closely related. The cheerleading that I'm talking about isn't the school cheerleading with the pom-poms. The cheerleading that I'm talking about is like a team synchronized gymnastics event. Yeah. So that's what my middle daughter did. And yes, my oldest daughter was, was ballerina style. And... Both those things, gymnastics, the cheerleading, the competitive cheerleading, and the ballet, those are freaking really, really hard things. Um, you know, obviously the gymnastics part, the things that you, the skill sets you learn in there are awesome. The and gymnastics, you know, when you're doing this type of cheerleading, that my middle daughter did was you're doing flips and all that kind of stuff, mm. back handsprawl, all that stuff, mm. splits and all. So and not to mention you're lifting other people. So they were good sports for them. The ballet was definitely hard. It's actually psycho. Uh, there's there's a psycho aspect to ballet, which is you, you, my you know my daughter that did ballet, she would have you know feet issues and shin issues. You know you're doing you're up on point. Your feet are getting all gnarled up. You get shin splints. I remember I used to roll out her calves with like one of those massage things and. Mm-hmm you know, she would just be in agony and then she'd get those freaking shoes on and go back and do it again. You know, like it's, it's hard, but very disciplined, teaches a lot of discipline. Now, the body image thing for sure is something you got to watch out for Um, because in those sports, body image, the way that the girls look is they're all looking at each other. They're wearing the skin tight outfits. Ballet is, is very, focused on that and ho- i know it's changing somewhat now uh, but there's still some old school instructors they're all looking at each other you know you can go and read you know about uh girls women and in, in ballet it can get pretty psycho so you do have to pay attention to that the, the the body image for girls these days is can get really really psycho it can be there for boys too i guess but I don't even think it's close to be to what it is for females, for girls. Uh, you know the Instagram, the the what's it? Photoshopping of all the pictures, and everyone looks perfect, and it's a, a nightmare for girls. So, for me, with the athletic part, with the gymnastic part, with the jujitsu part, with the ballet part, and then that comes in with eating. So all those things that you want to address, for me, it's addressing them not on how you look, but on your health, right? We're eating good foods not because you want to be skinny, but because you want to be healthy. You're working out not because you want to be skinny, but because you want to be strong. You're working out not because you want to have a six pack, but because you want to be flexible. So. It's that focus that you put on, uh, I think, is the best, the best way to handle it. Um, you can definitely, again, it's one of those things where you're talking to your kids. You know that they shouldn't be eating a donut, mm. and it's really easy for your intent to be when you when you for your intent to come across. You don't want them to eat a donut because you don't want them to be fat,
1: mm.
0: and it's really easy for them to think. Oh, this is my own dad telling me I shouldn't eat a donut cuz I he, he must think I'm fat. Mm. So you got to be very careful with that and that's why you got to focus on it. hey, donuts that's not good for you. That's not healthy. That's not going to make you strong. Look, most people want to be strong. Right? There's not too many people that have a goal that I want to be weak. You know, not too many girls are like I want to be weak. Now, now there are girls where added muscle they don't want it. You know, this is when you run into the major body image problems. I don't want to, I don't want to be strong. I just want to be skinny, and you really have to watch out for that. And and what I would recommend, if you start going down the road of gymnastics and ballet, and really, I think, um, I don't know if there's any books on this subject for the body image thing for girls, uh, but I, I would definitely look at so, what what a professional person would say about this. I think I got pretty lucky. You know, when you get someone that's into hardcore ballet or hardcore gymnastics, it's pretty easy to go down that road. And then you add on top of that the the um, Instagram and all this other stuff, the pressure, it, I think it's wide open. There's a really easy path to go down for having body image trouble as a, as a girl. So I would talk to and read about it and research and make sure that you you get some advice from professionals in that category because I don't think I'm qualified to give it. I can tell you what I experienced and and you definitely will see, you will see, look, if you got two girls, you will see some of their friends guaranteed are gonna be bulimic. They're gonna be, you know, counting calories when they're freaking five, you know, eight years old and it's gonna get crazy. So you have to watch out for it. Um I think it's one of the scariest things out there you know when you see um kids with with anorexia for mm-hmm. instance it's it's a nightmare and and imagine the um, the mental turmoil that you're in when you when you are going to die from not eating and yet you don't eat i mean it's a it it can be fatal in many cases so not something to play around with. I'm glad that you're in the game early. Um, you know, three years old and ten months old. That's that's a good good time to start shaping those things right now. And uh be careful. Be careful. It all leaves a mark.
1: Yeah, I'm in that beginning phase too of getting them into sports and hoping they're gonna like it and yep. it's weird too. Do you feel like you like because it's almost like a delicate, like, dance almost. where It, it we,
0: absolutely is.
1: Yeah, it's like you, you want them to like it and have fun. And then but then it, and then and what they like and will have fun with just sort of naturally will go along with sort of their personality a little bit, you know. Like I put my daughter in T-ball. She mm-hmm. was the only girl there. She didn't like it. She, wasn't, she wouldn't complain. She would just be focusing all out mm-hmm. of it, you know. She, and, and she didn't know anyone else. She kind of knew of a kid or whatever. So she just was like, yeah, no, you know, not at all. And then soccer, she didn't know anyone. But then she likes dance. Mm -hmm. She loves dance. So I'm like, what the? I mean, her personality totally makes sense. You know, she's not this person, you know, checking girls in soccer and stuff like that. But then she'll dance all day. Yep. Not even at dance practice. She's over dancing in her room. Yep. You know, so it's like, all right, well, I guess we're just going to play this thing by ear in a a small way,
0: you know. Yeah, and people will have a propensity to do something. I mean, if you think that I was like, cool, I'm going to get my daughter into cheerleading or ballet. I didn't say either one of those things. In Mm -hmm. fact, I was like, jujitsu, wrestling, boxing, you know, that stuff's cool. And somehow that's what they gravitated toward. And that's the reality of the situation. Now, I mean, my middle daughter, they, they both wrestled. Well, my older daughter wrestled tried wrestling and it was, she was the only girl on the team. And so she's wrestling dudes. And it was, it was not, it was not cohesive. It was not copacetic. How,
1: how old was, how old was she when she? This, I
0: mean, when she got in high school. So she had well, the jujitsu back, background and then shows up. And you know, now it's wrestling. And now it's, you know, 15, 16 year old boys all up on you. And it's, you know, it's not fun yeah. for a, For a girl, when my middle daughter started wrestling in high school, my son, who was younger but big, came to practice and wrestled with her because she was also the only girl on the team for a while, and then she recruited more girls. So, Mm. and then she was 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 a very good wrestler. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 tough. Can be true. It's tough. Um, Your kids are not. The the harder you steer your kids, you have like a percentage chance that it goes good and they get into it. You also have a percentage chance that they that they just don't like it because you're pushing so hard, yeah. and you have to be careful about that. Yeah. Um. And and sometimes it takes them a little time. and And I'll tell you another thing too. And actually, you and I had this conversation. You, know, uh, your son did something that you were like, oh, "I didn't really like when he did this." It was like a weakness thing, yeah. and I was like, "Bruh." He's young. It won't. This has this that that uh, uh, action that he took Hmm. literally has no impact on what kind of human being he's gonna end up. I mean, if we took my son and went back and you know uh, uh, replayed all the times that he did something when I was you know in my own mind thinking, oh, that's disappointing, or whatever. It's not even. It's, It's it's it's. It would be all kinds of things. Yeah. But if you look at where he's at, you'd be like, okay, cool, yeah, yeah, it's all good. There's going to be all kinds of, all kinds of uh, little, little paths that they go down for a second or a step or two or three, and then they go, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. It you just but if you try and immediately jerk them back from the path, they're actually going to get more curious about that path, and all of a sudden they're going down there more. Hmm. So it's better. And and oh, here's one last thing. Uh, one of my son's friends. Uh, You know took him to jiu-jitsu when he was five didn't like it took him to jiu-jitsu when he was six didn't like it You know came like literally one time I would probably bring him like once every six months Mm. didn't like it didn't like it didn't like it. Finally like around the age of 10 He realized that jiu-jitsu is awesome Mm. and started training all the time Mm. and it wasn't like he was It wasn't like he was years and years and years behind other kids that had been training. He he learned really quickly and he got Mm. caught up Mm. so It's better to let them enjoy it. And if it's not the right time for them, back off a little bit.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the one with my boy, I was, well, he's four, by the way. So what you're saying is completely, completely, it was a, I, was not surprised at all the big part of it was because he was so fired up mm-hmm. about doing this thing yep. the whole time the kind of like he wouldn't even leave me alone about it and then finally when we went he mm. just it, it's weird he got nervous so quick yeah and i was like just to be honest and i kind of came to the realization too at home but a big part of it was like me being fired up for him, I like, can't yeah. wait for my boy to finally get his first. Yeah. You know, being all fired up, and then he got nervous, and I was like, "Oh, kind of like, mm-hmm. almost like he let down my excitement." You know, in my selfish little way. Yeah, it's like ah, can't be you know, doing I've that said that stuff. so
0: many times. People ask me about kids, like your kids aren't going to be who you want them to be; they're going to mm-hmm. be who they are, and th- that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. And look. You gotta go with that. Mm. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta go with it, if you fight it, you look, You can you, it's just like leadership, right? Mm. Can I mandate that you behave a certain way if I'm your boss? Yep, I absolutely can. Mm. Well, how long are you gonna keep working for me? As soon as you get the opportunity to leave, you're going to, mm. and you can do that with your kids too. Yeah. You, can, you can impose what you want on them, how you think they should behave, you can impose it on them, and as soon as they get the chance to act differently, they will you can also bargain with your kids you you know explain why it's important to your kids you can say listen you know what i know you don't really like uh jujitsu hey look i know you don't really like jujitsu you know what here's why it's really good for you i'll tell you what you don't want to go that's cool um let's just go twice a week just so you have some basic self-defense because i don't want you to ever look i'm not going to be around all the time and I'll take care of you if I'm around, but there might be some times where I'm not around, especially when you get a little bit older and I want you to be able to take care of yourself. So if you don't want to do jujitsu, that's fine. Let's just do it twice a week so that you have some basic skills. So there's an example and you could do that with any sport, right? Hey, look, I know you don't like baseball, but guess what? Hand-eye coordination is extremely important for a person, for anything that you're going to do in your life. Hand-eye coordination is very important and... Did baseball is outstanding at developing hand-eye coordination. So if you don't wanna do baseball, I get it, that's cool. Let's just do it in the season to make sure that you have the skills and you have good hand-eye coordination. And you could say that about anything, right? Mm-hmm. Soccer, you don't like soccer? Hey, that's cool, I get it. is really good for your cardiovascular system. You know what that is? That's your heart, you wanna have a strong heart. So you can explain things to kids and they go, you know what, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And you might run into a wall where they just freaking hate something, back off for a little while. Don't make them, you know, when uh, when Jordan Peterson talks about exposure therapy, right? I'm supposed to, you know, if you're scared of needles, I bring you in the room, I tell you, hey, when you go in the room, there's gonna be a needle on the desk, go in there, look at it, leave when you want. Mm. I don't say go in there and touch it (laughs) against your will, because it freaks you out more. So you peek your head around the corner, and you, you don't even get in the room. I don't say, no, you gotta get in the room. I go, that's all good. See, nothing happened, we're cool. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. See if you can do, see if you can do, you know, see it a little bit longer next week. Yeah. So you walk them down the path. Instead of developing you know, a real level of frustration and, and hatred for the needle, and now you're even more scared of it because I forced you in there when you were freaking out. Mm-hmm. It got worse. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that with your kids. Check.
1: Next question. I have recently been hired to a job as a frontline leader. I've been here for about five months now. After a month or two of evaluating, I started taking my team, which is three mechanics, two salesmen, a sales admin, and a warehouse manager, through Extreme Ownership, the book, with permission from my boss, the GM. We're going through the book as a team, one chapter per week. We had to take a few weeks off due to the different travel within the team, meaning certain team members had to travel. And I've noticed huge changes, both good and bad. I lost my warehouse manager who felt attacked during this and did not accept ownership. Also, the sales admin for other issues, but partially tied to my management. In these losses, we as a team have been hit hard taking uh, taking over their job responsibilities and I'm reflecting on if I am doing the right things or not. My boss feels as though the changes are positive but I feel as though I ran these low performers out and it's caused an issue for everything. What are your thoughts? Stay, what are your thoughts? Stay the course and keep pushing high standards or, or calm down for a while and let things normalize
0: before continuing my push. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, calm down. <laughs> calm down immediately you're not winning if people are leaving you're not winning especially if you are getting people to leave and you don't have the you don't have new hires you don't have people that can step up into the roles and now you're having to cover down and now you're gonna drop the ball on different things hey look and I, calm down is my immediate response okay you know when you talk about pushing high standards what's the quote there what's the quote should I continue should I keep, stay the course and keep pushing high standards I never had this this is gonna shock people, perhaps. I never had to push high standards. I never had to push high standards. That's not not when I was in the military, not at echelon front, not at not at origin, not at Jockal fuel. I'm not pushing high standards what i do is i set the example i explain why we're doing what we're doing i explain what the strategic goal is i explain how we get to that strategic goal and guess what the team sets the standards and they do set high standards because they're on board they have ownership and they want to do well because it's theirs so you know, if I'm thinking about your warehouse manager feeling attacked, that's, that's like a crazy thing for me to hear because when I debrief things, the thing is not my warehouse, it's not my warehouse manager's fault that the warehouse wasn't stocked properly or that we missed some shipping dates. It's not my warehouse, it's my fault. It's my fault as a leader because I didn't give the support that I needed or I didn't explain the why or I didn't give the right guidance or the right training so that my warehouse manager could get the job done the way he or she is supposed to. This is not on them. This is on me. When my team is failing, it's my fault. The book Extreme Ownership isn't about your team. It's supposed to be for you as the leader. You don't impose extreme ownership on other people. What's the, what's the line in there? There's another line in there about that. Oh, here it is. Did, people did not accept ownership. We're not forcing ownership onto people. Ownership is a gift. It's not something that you impose on people. It's a gift, and they should. Re, if you're doing it properly, they receive it as a gift. They say, oh, this is mine. That's awesome. Right? That's what they do. They don't say, oh, this is Jocko wants the podcast to be posted like this. Right? Mm -hmm. Is that the way it happens? Do I say, okay, Echo, at this time on this night, you need to get it posted. I'll be checking. Do I do that? No, you don't. No, in fact, it's like, what day do you think we should post the podcast? That's your idea. Do you think we should put it out the same time all the time? Yeah, we should do that. That's consistency. That'll that'll be good. Okay, great. Who's making up the standards, me or you? You are. Mm. You understand the mission. We got information to get out to people. We want to make it a consistent way so that they can be open to receiving that information at the right times. Good. Yeah, you know what we should do? We should put it out every Wednesday. Okay, sounds good, man. Whose call is that? It's not mine. Who had ownership of that call? Echo Charles. So if we're imposing extreme ownership on people, we're doing it wrong. (laughs) We're doing it wrong. And you know what? All this stuff, by the way, is my fault. Literally, my fault. The first book that Leif and I wrote, we called it Extreme Ownership, and that makes people think we're supposed to take an extreme attitude, and guess what? That's why we had to turn around and write the dichotomy of leadership, to get people to realize that you can't go extreme. Extreme is not what we're talking about. And so get the dichotomy of leadership, and I'll tell you what, get leadership strategy and tactics. Leadership Strategy and Tactics specifically talks about all these things, how you communicate with people, how you talk to people, how you take ownership in a manner that the people on the team also want to take ownership. You don't impose extreme ownership on people, you have to lead them to it. And the way that you lead people to it is you start taking ownership yourself. That's what that's what works. So, build relationship with the team. Listen, I, I know I'm coming hard at you right now. I know I am. I know I am. Your attitude is good. Your 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 desire to do well, your desire to spread this, is is admirable. But because I did a bad job of explaining how to do it in the book Extreme Ownership. You focused it on everyone else, them taking ownership when it starts with you. And it will spread. So check out the dichotomy of leadership. Check out leadership strategy and tactics. Go to to EFOnline.com. We have like a specific, we have role plays that I do with Leif where we role play what not to do. And this is like one of the things that we do a role play of what not to do. Hey, you need to take, start taking ownership, Echo Charles. Mm. That puts immediately everyone in a freaking defensive mode. What are you talking about? I need to take ownership. Mm. It's not my responsibility. It's like all those things. So, yep. Sorry for being a little bit aggro, but I what here's why I'm getting a little bit aggro. First of all, I can't have a conversation with you, which I would love to have, but I want you to immediately take action Calm down. Let's get this thing back under control. I don't want you to lose any more people. I don't want you to have a bad relationship with your people. I want you to win. I want you to win. And in order to win, you gotta start using a little bit more tact, a little bit more indirect, a little bit more maneuver warfare to get people on board. You get people on board, not with a sledgehammer, but with with leadership. So let's give that a shot, man.
1: That <clears throat> phenomenon there, just yeah, just that little element where it's like you meant he mentioned the person didn't take ownership or whatever. Like it's mm-hmm. funny for interesting from mm-hmm. the beginning. That was always a question. What do you do if the other person doesn't take ownership, yeah. right? Yeah. And I I totally understand how that's not as obvious, you know. Mm-hmm. But once you kind of hear the answer, you're like, ooh, you'll never forget that. Where it's never, that's never a question. If that's a question, that means you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I thought of it like, you could almost compare it to like trying to start it like a garden, right? plant some tomatoes. Yeah. And the tomato's not growing. Freaking tomato, it's not the tomato's fault, is yeah. it? It's probably something you're not doing. I'm not even saying you should know what to do necessarily. Yeah. But you have to understand, like, it's obviously something you're doing or not doing to, to make that, to, or to cause that, not allow that tomato to grow.
0: So. What if we yell at the tomato? Will it grow?
1: Negative. You can't yell at it. You can't stretch it. You can't grab the little leaf, flower, and stretch it and be force like, force it to can't grow. Do it. What work can work you like do? That. You can give it water. Some water. You some, can some nourish something. it. I'll even go online look that, look it up. Yeah. Be like, what can I do? My tomato's doing this and doing. This. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. See what I have to do. <laughs> Find out what I didn't do, yeah. haven't been doing, have been doing too much of, or so whatever. But yeah, you can't force it. No. Like, at no point can I blame the tomato for not growing. It <laughs> <laughs> just can't. It doesn't You know, it yep. doesn't make sense.
0: It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And and listen, can you get to a point where you got someone on your team, and this is in the dichotomy of leadership in a chapter called – when to mentor, when to fire. Can you have a person that is a poor performer that doesn't wanna be there, that doesn't wanna make the effort, that doesn't have the cognitive or physical capability to do whatever job it is you want them to do and you have to remove them from that position? Yes, that does happen. In Task Unit Bruiser, we fired two people before we went on deployment. So even Mr. Jocko, Mr. Leadership, there's two people that didn't we, we got rid of. All my mentorship and all this other stuff didn't work. Yeah. All my coaching and training didn't work. All the effort that the platoons put into helping guys get better didn't work. So we had to get rid of people. So it does happen. But it shouldn't happen after a month or two of evaluating and having people leave and that's, that's not what we're looking to have happen. We don't want to have people feeling attacked. We want to, we want to aim the extreme ownership at ourselves. Awesome, good luck bro. Last question.
1: Hey, Jocko, I've been hearing a bunch of great questions from the undergrounds lately, but have ultimately decided to ask a fun one. When are you, when are we going to get a pay-per-view fight between you and Joe Rogan?
0: Joe Rogan. Yep.
1: <laughs> also, what advantages and disadvantages do you anticipate due to you learning under Dean Lister? Whereas Joe was taught by Eddie Bravo. Keep up the
0: good work, brother. Uh... I'm probably never gonna see a pay-per-view fight. Whoa, a little fight Joe analysis, Rogan. Uh, Joe uh,
1: Rogan, Jocko.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've never rolled with Joe. Have you ever rolled with Joe? No, I never rolled with Joe. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, Joe is a a really good guy. Like, he's a good human being. He's a he's a genuinely nice guy. He's like legitimately just. He's just an awesome guy. Um, I've never rolled with him. I know, and oh, yeah, but legitimately nice guy. He's also a really good athlete, right? He competed in striking. Um, he's a very good striking. He's super f- flexible. He's been training jujitsu for a long time. He's strong. Um, you know, he 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 does good, like, it looks like Metcon type of endurance work. I don't think he's a big runner, but I don't know. He runs. So, dude, he's a good athlete, and he's been training for a long time. Um, I'm bigger than he is. You know, um, but it always, it'd be fun. I, I, I look forward to rolling with him at some point and I'm glad that I've gotten to know him and that's kind of my fight analysis. You never know until you know, yeah. um, he's, he's a legit, he's a legit striker. He's a freaking disciplined He's a good guy. You know, he's a, well, I keep saying good guy. He's a good fighter.
1: Yeah.
0: Like he's a legit good fighter. Um, So, you know, you're not an old school black belt under Eddie Bravo and not, you know, have skills. And there you go. What up? There's so advantages and disadvantages. Um, Obviously, you know, he'd be, you know, he would have the flexibility and the Eddie Bravo type, uh, you know, guard and rubber guard and all that. Um, you know, I would have the Dean Lisch things. (laughs) (laughs) So it'd be good, man. It was, you know, what's fun is like back in the day, you know, like Eddie Bravo and Dean Lisch and like we would, see each other you know it was a no it was like all kind of like everyone kind of knew each other it's kind of cool i probably knew him back then about as well like eddie bravo specifically i probably knew him back then about as well as i know him right now like if i saw him it'd be like hey what's up and i don't know him any better today uh i know joe rogan better today than i did back then but it's just cool man the old school the Mm jujits. everyone was out freaking training and getting out like when 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 Eddie Bravo won the North American trials for ADCC in San Diego and mm. Dean won his weight class and Eddie won his weight class and I lost my weight class. But we were all there and all like knew, kind of like knew each other, you know. Yeah. So good yeah, it, stuff. It kind of kind of brings up the idea
1: where like this is such a distinction from like almost like the spectator standpoint and the fighter standpoint where like how you how you know like you and probably even if Joe Rogan was to be presented this question in a circumstance where he'd like oh yeah you know he'd answer it it would probably be similar like you know, when people say, oh, I want to see a match between you guys, it's because the fans, they want to see who's going to beat the other guy or mm-hmm. whatever, right? And then the thing is, the two fighters, they want to see that too, but it's, it's not really about that. It's more about, oh, yeah, I've never rolled with Joe Rogan before. Mm-hmm. That'd be a great experience. Win or lose, it's less about the, like, oh, he, whether he would beat me, even though you're curious to see, is he that level where he can beat me? Mm-hmm. Or am I a higher level where I can beat him. You're curious about that for sure, but it's more about the experience and like the respect of that experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So I remember one time, um, one of my friends, one, uh, Halleck, we had, I met one of his friends or whatever, and his friend was like looking, He was a buff guy, mm-hmm. um, and he's looking at me and he's like, what's up, man, you know, good to meet you, whatever. And he was like, hey, what belt are you? That was like one of the first Dang. questions he asked me. And I was like, Oh, yeah, you know, I told him at the time I was purple belt. And he's, like, looking at me, you know, he's like, cool, man, good to meet you or whatever. And then Alec like, was, like, laughing. <laughs> and he's like, you want to roll with him, huh? You guys want to roll right now? And they were, like, kind of laughing. He's like, well, yeah, that's kind of. You know, part of the game. Right. Mm -hmm. When you see somebody who's like your size, you never met them before, you know that they train. It's like that's part of the game. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, no one's going to overtly say it like that. But, you know, that is kind of part of the game. But it's not for the reasons that maybe a spectator or someone on the outside might think. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's not like, oh, yeah, it's not. We
0: want to train because it's cool to roll with someone that you haven't rolled with before. Yep, and you Oh, yeah, so that's mm -hmm. how I was answering the question. Like, it'd be cool to roll with Joe, because I've never, not because I want to know who's better. I just want, like, oh, maybe he could teach me something. Maybe he has some move that I haven't seen, and that'd be cool. Yeah, Yeah. you're right.
1: Yep, full on. So it's interesting, Different attitude. Yeah, it's super subtle if you're looking at it. Like, not even, but one year, the, the, the jiu-jitsu person or the MA person or mm-hmm. whatever um, it's it's Different enough where it's a whole different thing a whole different motivation mm-hmm. But it's there, you know it's subtle, but it's
0: there. Yeah, yeah, awesome. All right That's good, man Anyways, everyone thanks for joining us. Thanks for supporting the cause We did get a little bit of censorship the other day YouTube Put one of our put little warnings around our our episode about the Armenian genocide. Not ad suitable.
1: Or there, limited know. suitable. I don't know. Whatever. The, see? the
0: rankings. You see how this goes? Yeah, yeah. This is so that's what this is. And we appreciate you all supporting the cause on the underground just in case we have to go underground. For real. In the meantime, appreciate it. You can get supplements from jockofuel.com and all the stuff from originusa.com. You know that. JockoStore.com if you need something cool to wear. Bunch of books. Echelon Front. We're on the interwebs. Echo's at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. And thank you once again for allowing us to create this little underground situation where if things go sideways, we'll be able to thrive in the underground. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko.